This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. And here we are live in the spoiler room, January 20th, 2016, a new special series for this year. Last year we did the 25th anniversary series, and I was like, what should we do this year? And then I turned 40, and I was like... What about 40th anniversary films, which is leads us to the films of 1976. And man, let me tell you, when you start digging, it's amazing which films came out during that year. Also going on in 1976, though, just some historical facts. The first Cray computer, Cray 1, was released. Super Bowl X, Steelers beat the Cowboys. The first commercial Concord flight takes off. And Jimmy Carter won the Iowa Democratic Caucus. That's right, folks, and in uh, movies, there was a lot of great ones, and one of them, the first one we're going to talk about tonight kind of has a little bit of an extra special kick to it, but first, let's introduce who's in the crew tonight to help me talk about the special film. We're going to first introduce the one and only Mr. Ziggy's stardust of the spoiler room, the lovely Andrew Shearer. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Mark. Hey, let me just say it's an honor to be part of this show and to be part of the first in the 40th anniversary series. I think it's a great idea, and I'm stoked to be... I was born in 77, January. Very oh. close, so I wasn't quite a 76 baby. I was one year old, uh, turning, uh, turned one year old in 76, so we're all around that uh, similar age there. So, yeah, it, it's... I'm glad to have you part of this uh, interesting film, definitely to kick it off, and I think it'll definitely summarize some of the uh, feelings in cinema in 76. And next to Mr. Andrew Shearer is uh, the one, uh, the only BFD himself, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. A statue of young whippersnappers, talking about how young you were. I was already five by the time this movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> Botulism was still a sauce. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you in here as well, Glenn, for some interesting perspective from those who uh, were in kindergarten or first grade by the time this film came out. I was working uh, in the mines. <laughs> the mines. <laughs> 32 hours a week just for the privilege of working there, right? Exactly. That's great. <laughs> and last but not least, the bow tie man himself, Mr. Uh, Paul Salzar. Paul, hello, sir. Hello, and since everyone was talking about what they were doing at the time this film came out, uh, I was still uh, trying to not learn or unlearn my Korean <laughs> because I was a baby then. Oh. <laughs> Did not speak English until a year later. Really? That's yeah. cool, Paul. That All these cool. shows we've done, and I never knew that about you. That's <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And so tonight, yes, uh, we are going to talk about one of the films that, uh, if you think about 1976 and some of the unusual films that were going on, this one, I think, would be near the top of the list. And we also are doing it. Now, these films were chosen by people on our website at specialmarkproductions.com. It just so happens this one made the list and also the unfortunate happening of David Bowie passing away. So we're kicking it off with The Man Who Fell 
to Earth, starring, among other people, Mr. David Bowie, playing Thomas Jerome Newton, who is a humanoid alien who comes to Earth to get water for his dying planet. He starts a high-tech company to get the billions of dollars he needs to build a return spacecraft. Then he meets Mary Lou, a girl who falls in love with him. He does not count on the greed and ruthlessness of businesses here on Earth, however, and we see how he deals with that and how they deal with him. <laughs> okay, I hadn't watched this in ages, and actually I realized I've never watched the full film. I've watched it in parts. So I get to sit down and watch the first film, uh, film basically first time viewing all the way through and. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but first let's get let's go to Glenn here. Glenn, your initial feelings with the man who fell to Earth. Uh, wow, my initial feelings. Uh, wow, this is long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were my initial feelings. Um, I actually I watched this probably that would be 23 years ago, freshman uh-huh. year of college. And I just rewatched it again today, uh, so I've seen it twice, sure. uh, and I've seen bits and pieces here and there. So I remember nothing of the first viewing, um, <laughs> other than my friend Steve was super, super drunk. Like, I mean, even I'm talking even even where you'd say like, shit, man, he's drunk by Wisconsin standards. Wow, that guy's wasted. Um, that's all I remember from the first viewing. Uh, <laughs> Trying not to have Steve puke on me. Watching it again, um, it's definitely different. I want to know if uh, Mary Lou was is supposed to be uh, mentally handicapped. It's <laughs> um, just Tommy, Tommy, look, Tommy, look, 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 Tommy, look, a train, look, 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 I love trains. <laughs> so I don't know. It, this is this is a weird one. It's definitely weird. That said, I think it's still interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of a an interesting thing how you know. I mean, 1976, you didn't have a lot of stuff that actually kind of showed some of the downside of capitalism. Yeah, that's <laughs> As this true. Movie kind of does. I mean, there's definitely a, a kind of a greed can really fuck you over. <laughs> <laughs> There is that running uh, theme in here with that uh, statement about greed, but uh, I felt I'm not sure if they were trying to make some other statements in here as well. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Your feelings uh, with this film, uh, making statements about uh, America's greed and how it can ruin someone? Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's one of the. Definitely one of the big themes on it. It's really cool. I remember I had not seen it. I went to a double feature uh, at the University of Union in the '90s of uh, the Hunger and um, and the late the late show was going to be Man Who Fell to Earth and a lot of people were there for the Hunger because it was a vampire movie. Um, but you know David Bowie's in that one too. Then they showed Man Who Fell to Earth and not very many people stuck around for it. A uh, friend of mine that went with me, it was his idea to go. He was huge into David Bowie, huge into 70s science fiction. And I watched it with him, and I just I saw it as the epic <laughs> that he <laughs> felt that it was. What a huge story that it tells. I had not seen anything by Nicholas Rogue at the time. I'm since become a big fan. So um, I just think it's such a – the best science fiction can be seen by anyone in any decade. And – if it was made right, 
Um, there's nothing in it that really dates it bad, and you can relate it to the current times. It's still relevant, and I think Man Who Fell to Earth, you know, because you think about like Logan's Run, some of the other ones, mm-hmm. Westworld, Soylent Green, da da da, uh, Silent Running. This one is, to me, I think probably still the one of the more uh, timely and one of the least dated out of all that. Well, yeah, the, the the theme of American greed especially is even more prominent now, I think, than back in 76, in all honesty, uh, with uh, class warfare and such. And this definitely uh, features some of those themes of, of government intervention, wealth, and uh, corruption as well. Paul, how about you? You just you were like me. You just watched the first thing, the movie, the first time all the way through this week. Actually, today. Uh, what about you, sir? Oh well, I uh, yeah, it was. It blew my mind. First of all, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't expecting this type of film. Uh, I thought it was kind of like an artsy film that has like all this, you know, eclecticness about it, about its sound, about its music, and about the how the film was actually filmed. You know, with all the different cutscenes, it looked like they tried to slam in as many different styles as they could, and it just went with the music, uh, you know, that kind of skipped around different genres as well. Uh, but I guess the biggest thing that came to my mind while I was watching it was this is the story of Howard Hughes as an alien <laughs> and also kind of his life being a softcore porn <laughs> uh, thrown into it. But, it, you know, it just it definitely had this independent kind of film vibe to it, uh, especially in the beginning, I thought the the way they they shot the film, it, it looked like a very independent film, and then suddenly it turned into a more uh, classical type film as it as it progressed, and I was like, wow! And then I started noticing them actually doing all these weird little changes, and it was like, oh my god, is is it was that intentional? I hope it was intentional because it definitely. If it wasn't, it, uh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's it's. It's really a film that stands alone, if nothing else, just for styles. It gets for points for execution because this, that's one of the first things that I put down because I, I got a whole list of questions here. I, we probably won't go through all of them, but uh, one of the things was the uh, interesting passage of time. Uh, you, you touched on it, Paul, of things changing, but, man, this thing spans <laughs> – Decades, doesn't it, Andrew? I mean, they, we, yeah. we we cover a, a. I mean, it's if anyone expecting just a complete linear narrative is going to be kind of lost, I think, wouldn't you say? Because we cover a lot of years. Well, it's a, it's like you know, Paul said he wasn't sure what to expect, and it, you know, and it kind of it is, it's a mind blowing experience, and that was the way it was tailored to be. Um, but like I said, you know, it's an epic story, and I think you know, comparing that to Howard Hughes is a really, really, really kind of an astute observation, a great comparison, because this is not a simple alien comes to Earth, has an agenda, and follows it like uh, steadfast until he's either stopped or or achieves it. You know, in, a, right. in an action movie style kind of a thing, or you know, uh, doesn't do that at all. This is a different kind of story than we're used to seeing now about an alien. You know. Yeah, it, it, well, it doesn't. I mean, outside of the rocket stock footage we get in the beginning, you're not even quite sure if you didn't read the synopsis that he was an actual alien. Well, this was uh, before all science fiction movies had to be obsessed with spaceships. You know, right, I, I right. mentioned before we started that this is pre-Star Wars. Sure. Those movies weren't about spaceships then, and I like that it didn't even give a crap to show you his ship. Really, <laughs> well, at the beginning, he's just there. He is yeah. the man who fell to Earth. 
here you go. Yeah, he's there already dressed in some slick uh, garments as well. Uh, but I'm glad Paul mentioned the Howard Hughes angle because that's exactly what ran through my mind as I watched the alien develop his World Enterprises technology company and uh, it started becoming a recluse. And here he has got all this money, and we watch him as he goes to a, a more sparse living conditions and even sparser in remote living conditions, trying to really just get him away from everybody. Uh, Glenn, did you get that uh, Howard Hughes vibe from the alien? I didn't until now. Oh, <laughs> but it makes sense, you know, doesn't it? I didn't think of it well, either. It, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, it totally does. I mean, the whole, you know, billionaire recluse thing, kind of odd and bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and for the younger viewers, it, it's like Tony Stark. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> without, the, without the armor, yeah. For the younger viewers, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Howard Hughes has definitely came to my mind, especially as you get to the scene, you know, where he's got that house, um, you know, on the lake. Because, folks, we, we, like I said, we cover a lot of time in here. And first we see the alien, our, our man, uh, was his last name again, Newton, uh, who uh, Thomas here, he, we see him first trying to not pawn, but just sell a lot of wedding rings <laughs> to, to get his start of his wealth. And then with no explanation, because again, this is 76. So, and the storytelling's out there a little bit, even for that, suddenly he's a massive wealth and has the world enterprise corporation. Thanks to nine, what, eight or nine basic patents he owns. <laughs> So I, I have to ask, and I want to start with uh, we'll start with Glenn here. Glenn, do we feel that he's been on Earth a long time, even before we catch up with him, hasn't he? I think so. I mean, the fact that he, you know, that you know, pretty much when we first see him, he's already got like a British passport and all that kind of stuff, and just yeah, I mean, he's been on Earth a long time, and throughout the movie, it's obviously a lot of time passes too. Right. But I mean even before because he's got all of those rings and yep. he, you know he he's got nine he got basic patents which basically meant folks that he owned yeah. like three three or four of the major tech companies in 76 like the big ones like Apple, Sony. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he had to be around for a while if he owned the basic patents. Uh, and he, he crossed paths with this lawyer uh, that was Farnsworth, right? Oliver Farnsworth, played by Buck Henry. Uh, Paul, what did you think of the lawyer? <laughs> I thought he looked like Tyrell from Blade Runner. <laughs> those glasses. Uh, but I loved his character. He was he was he was the character. You know, all, some of the other characters. If we, when we get to talk to about the other characters more, I felt that they changed. And in, in, in some cases, I didn't like how. They changed with uh, Farnsworth. I thought he that that character stayed kind of true to himself. Uh, I like the fact that they kind of hinted at what type of uh, relationship he was having, mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was just an interesting thing about his character. Especially, you know, this is the '70s. I wasn't uh, again expecting this type of of film from you know at this time, and it was just it was shocking. He was a, a really likable character, and I, I did enjoy watching him when he was on screen. 
And the alien just comes up and basically makes him the handler of his entire fortune, basically. Yeah. And if lawyer. it wasn't for his his face changing, his color of his hair changing, uh, the first time that they jumped uh, through time, you know, forward yeah. in time, I wouldn't have known it had I not seen his face change. Well, yeah, because, I mean, David Bowie's doesn't. character pretty much doesn't age at all, his alien character. Uh, but, yeah, the, the lawyer, his helps gives kind of an indication of time. And, yeah, I got a kick out of how they handled his character. Uh, Andrew, what about you? His relationship, especially how they mention it. But they, they show it but don't mention it. It's like yeah. it's it, there's mm. no words, but you know what kind of relationship this guy actually has as far as his uh, preferences and such. Well, that's that guy is Buck Henry. Man. Right. And anybody that's seen classic SNL knows who Buck Henry is, but he's also – he wrote the freaking – he wrote The Graduate, mm-hmm. right? Screenplay for that yeah. or adaptive screenplay for that? I don't really remember. Uh, he wrote some other cool stuff, like Catch-22, I think yep. he wrote. yep. Heaven Kuwait? Heaven Kuwait, yeah. Okay. Oh, I love that film. Shit. Sorry. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> Buck Henry. <laughs> I, I really like that he was the guy, and he loved it. He gave him that huge, huge stack of money. You know, that was so gangster, what he did. And <laughs> he's looking at him, and he's got his glasses on, and he's looking at him with his glasses, you know? Such a neat kind of, you know, Coke bottle showdown. Yeah. <laughs> scene there in that apartment that first time he just goes to him and you know but and that's the way that's a great way to illustrate because you what do you have is a big concept here and this is a great reveal and if you think about the the cast doesn't really know who this guy is yet and doesn't really know the even if they think well he's an alien the man who fell to earth or he's an alien they only think how smart he really is and they don't really know you don't really know what it is he's trying to do either you right. Know? You don't find out till later about the water from his planet and all that stuff too. So it's very mysterious and extremely intriguing. I've had people say they fell asleep during the movie. Give me a break. It moves at like breakneck pace. And like you said, with all the stylistic changes to show the passing of time, you know, that's a very original idea. And freaking Buck Henry, you gotta be crazy if you don't like that guy. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Buck Henry was great in it. And, uh, I also enjoyed, um, you know, his just interactions with this character of Thomas Jerome Newton. Uh, Glenn, what about you with uh, the Buck Henry character, Oliver Farnsworth? It was interesting. I, the glasses really, really kind of threw me. <laughs> Think about office space, right? That guy. <laughs> <laughs> Stapler. Um, although um, I... I... <laughs> I, I did. I did like when he apologized when uh, he didn't go through the window the first time. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> that was uh, right. sorry. <laughs> Skip it to the end. Well, that, that's what's interesting about this film is you've got a very, you've got a lot of great themes in here. You got to let, and then you get these odd bits of humor. Like, like Glenn mentioned, there's a scene later in the film where his character is getting basically trying to get tossed through the window by these government agents, and he doesn't go through the window the first time, and he just <laughs> cracks it. Oh, I forgot about that. That's so funny. And he that's, just goes, that's near oh, the end. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's near the end, and uh, okay. he apologized, and I'm just like, I started laughing. I'm going, this should be a really serious and dark scene, but he just... <laughs> drops that line and you're just like oh the other humor bits in here too uh paul they're in church they're singing probably one of the most popular songs in britain yes and david bowie his character 
can't sing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he sounds like me in church, so, so I was okay with that. <laughs> did, I mean, did you catch that? I mean, I, I yes. I'm like sitting here going, "Oh my god, am I am I supposed to find this?" Funny? Were they doing this on on purpose? Well, the preacher even says, you know, kind of th- that they're doing this English hymn to to kind of for their friends, and I'm I'm assuming that they were talking about him directly from. So yeah, I think they did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, here it is, David Bowie, British, singing a very popular British hymn, and <laughs> he, he couldn't sing he, it. He couldn't sing it. He needed the words. He, I'm like, wow, okay, that's. <laughs> You know that's that's actually a pretty smart bit of of humor in there, but that that's peppered throughout here, isn't it, Glenn? Where you get just these odd bits of humor in, yes. in the film. And, yeah, which uh, is uh, that's one of the interesting things with the movies because a lot of the movie is not really comedic, right? Um, and I think that the little bits of humor are are well placed to to break the, that up a little bit. Um, I think if you took the, those little those little bits and gags out, uh, you'd have a much. The movie I think would be too dry, mm-hmm. much too dry. But they don't have enough of it in where it becomes a spoof of itself. Right, it doesn't come to become distracting, but Correct. at the same time, uh, uh, yeah, they they put in there to break it up. Yeah, because I, I I really got a kick out of some of that humor that they threw in there. I just like, wow, it's unexpected. So uh, yeah, Thomas Jerome Newton. I I definitely got the Howard Hughes vibe in this guy's Alien. But Andrew, do you think they were kind of going with the whole Alien feeling of how possibly we perceive the rich and famous as almost being alien, not necessarily from another planet, but just in a whole different lifestyle? Well, yeah. I mean, you got you know that kind of detachment that the business person would have. You know, and how we kind of see the successful person, you know, as or, or the smart person rather, is somehow more than average or more than human or somehow better, you know. So the idea that they would not even be from Earth is, a, yeah, absolutely. And you know, but also you can't help but think about David Bowie's persona as a as a musician because Ziggy Stardust is an alien as well, and so it was a great idea to to cast him in the part. Uh, but what was crazy, what you guys mentioned about him not being able to sing, is that like, it's the opposite of when musicians are normally in movies, right? I mean, like, right. think about Elvis's movies. I think Eddie Murphy was the one who made the joke about <laughs> Elvis can't act, so they make him sing, Elvis, we gotta win this race. We gotta win this race. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so, like, <laughs> to, to have him not do any music, he didn't even do the soundtrack, you know? Yeah. That's what got me was I was like, wow, there's not even a David Bowie track on the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> I, I came into it with with being a fan of David Bowie, uh, be, uh, being of the MTV generation, and knowing him as someone who, uh, you know, obviously he, he can act because he, you know, he was a fake person. You yeah, know, he was. He went through a lot of incarnations before he was even famous. Uh, so uh, to me, it's kind of hard to separate kind of that aspect from it too. It's just like. I think if you have a movie where someone's an alien, why wouldn't you want David Bowie as, as the alien? But that's a that I mean to me that's really good though. Just you know going toward it because you think about They Live also. Yeah. You know, who were the aliens in that movie? They were the elite, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the kind of just unrelatable to the quote unquote common guy man. Yeah, you know? it, it allows them to put him on the outside of everything that's happening. You know? Right. 
So, I mean, he, he, he didn't necessarily need to be an alien, a man from another planet, in order to, for them to still kind of go for what I think they were going for in this film. Did they, Glenn? Uh, Thomas Jerome Newton, did he really need to be an alien? No, he didn't need to be at all. Um, yeah. Just based, I mean, as you guys mentioned Howard Hughes, I mean, Howard Hughes is pretty damn alien-like if you actually, <laughs> actually look at his at the history of his life. So no, they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, not at all. And 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 there's actually, I, I was reading commentary from, from people who actually debate whether or not he ever actually was and whether or not much of the alien stuff is his own delusion. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That that crossed my mind, especially with the mud hut alien house that he <laughs> imagined. I thought uh, it looked like a potato cake. <laughs> <laughs> it totally looks like a potato cake. <laughs> yes, folks, they do. We do get some flashbacks of the alien as he thinks of his family back on Earth, which at first he's playing a very good alien husband um, <laughs> at first, and he, he's thinking of them, and their house yeah, looks like a potato cake with windows. <laughs> and it's a monorail, too. It's, it goes, it's a monorail. It's a potato mo- cakes coming, too, from Arby's. <laughs> yes. It's a mobile home, I guess, an alien trailer. If you will, too bad, man. There's no water. They're on this. No, but they they've got enough technology to get him somehow to planet Earth. Uh, so yeah, it very well could be Thomas Jerome Newton's just hallucinating a lot of this stuff. But it wouldn't quite explain his non-aging, except if he's pulling a Michael Jackson and and put you know doing the oxygen tent. But yeah, that is a interesting observation of of him uh, thinking he's an alien possibly, versus uh, actually being an alien, though I think they were intending him more to be an alien. But yet, uh, when they were doing all their tests, they couldn't prove that he was, so, you know? Well, because, well, they played that angle of he, yeah. only if he wanted to reveal... Yeah, and his eyes and all that stuff. Would he, would he actually work? And, you know, th- that leads us to the people around Thomas Jerome Newton. Uh, one of them is a Nathan Bryce, played by Rip torn now you guys have to explain this to me because i kind of got lost on who was who (laughs) in this film at some point we have rip torn but we have this professor character who's cheating on his wife but then we have this other character who also seems to be a scientist i kind of got lost with the characters there uh Glenn, could you help me out on who was who? It was Rip Torn. He was the guy that 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 came in the helicopter and got the job. But who was the professor guy? Because he seemed to drop out of the picture, or were they one in the same? I couldn't quite follow that part. In all honesty, well, the scientist that was Rip Torn, wasn't it? I thought it was. Yeah, but yes. there, there there was the professor too. Oh yeah. Oh God, that won't happen to him. <laughs> You you know, but or that, wait, no, were they the same guy? They're the same. They're the same guy. Okay, see, yeah. and for me, I had a hard time distinguishing it. I think it was passage of time, maybe. But at yeah. first, it, no, no, no. I, yeah, that's definitely yeah, because yeah, okay. the professor who slept with all the young girls. Yeah, that's the same same as the scientist because that's both ripped torn. Okay, that was both ripped torn. Voice. Yeah, because all, all all I can hear. 
Thanks to Ben and Black, all I ever hear when I hear a turn talk now is, we're not hosting an intergalactic dinner. All I can ever hear when I, when I hear his voice now. Thank you, me too, me too, yes. I so guess I'm it, the only one that thinks of Freddy Got Fingered when I hear a rip turn. Uh, uh, you, you had to bring up that movie. I love that movie. I, I, I know, I'm, that's fine. There's people that do love the movie, and they let me know it on my review constantly. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm glad there's more than one of us. But I oh, really there's plenty. Of, about it. There's plenty of people out there. Trust me, and they let me know. You should for... put a link to that so that I can continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so uh, okay, so I, you know, and I was thought I was following the movie really good, but I did get jumbled there for a little bit on is this the same guy or not? And I think it might have been the passage of time. Uh, but thank you for the clarity. So that, this is the same guy. We we meet Rip Torn's character, and he's basically uh, giving A's for uh, a bed. Um, <laughs> lots of them. Lots of them. Lots but, of A's. <laughs> but we also get the impression this guy <laughs> doesn't exactly like being a professor, does he, Paul? No, because it it uh, he was talking about it. he he has this thing where he's talking with uh, with the other either professor or maybe the dean of the school where he's talking about you know how how he's very interested in the worldwide um, um, enterprise, enterprise. Yeah. yeah because he wanted he, he thought that they they were like bringing about the dream you know and he's talking about you know this is this is what he really wants to do he wants to like. Explore and and not be like stifled in there and and so he gives up this this like lavish like sex life and and totally goes back into the this research and gets three times his salary and he even mentions that his libido drops during that time where he's like <laughs> and I was like wow this guy is not normal um, but uh, yes so. Uh, we're, what, I'm, I'm totally off of what we were... No, we were, no, I was just thinking that, about all the boobies and got I think I was. He's thinking, thinking all the boobies. Folks, Rip Torn gets a lot of action in this film. And being 1976 and them being a little... A lot, a lot lacks in in nudity. There's there's plenty of it in this film. Well, in the cutscenes, there there's one scene where where they kind of cut to like a samurai fighting scene, and it was interesting. Yes. How they how they blended those two things together, and it was like, and then when the the actual sex scene ended, the the samurais fought, but they still played the sound of the 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 two having sex, and so it, it sounded like like the samurais were you know having sex, yeah. Having, yeah. <laughs> it was such an interesting film. You have to watch it because of that like weirdness of it. You know, it's like. Well, Wow. Well, that's not the first time they play around with two different scenes with sex either, do they, Glenn? Where they've got uh, – where Thomas Jerome Newton goes to the, the hole-in-the-wall hotel where he fe- eventually meets Mary Lou. But he's in there, and they're doing cut scenes of him because he couldn't handle going up an elevator. So he passes out, his nose gets bloody, and Mary Lou's carrying him uh, because he's – David Bowie and Waif of Thin, apparently, uh, but she's carrying him down the hall. And in, dispersed with her carrying him down the hall, we get scenes of a professor, I think it was the professor, uh, the, the Rip Torn character, getting more tail or, or, excuse me, more women or someone in the hotel getting more women. What what was that scene? <laughs> was was that supposed to be Rip Torn's character as well? I couldn't. Rip Torn a player. <laughs> I didn't know that, man. Because he had like four different women. <laughs> yeah. 
Intergalactic kegger, man. But what I was wondering is, were they implying a little bit like our alien has maybe ESP or telepathy or some kind of connection to these people that he trusts? Because, I mean, here Rip Torn's Nathan Bryce character eventually goes to work for him, and here he's... The impression I got was that he was getting visions of Nathan Bryce's various trysts. Is that what was going on, or were we just... They were just blending two scenes together again, like with the samurai. I think it was just uh, the scene needs boobies, I think is what it was. <laughs> what they were thinking. They need some boobies in here. Like, this is 1976, man. we got to use up all the boobies we can while we still got them. <laughs> wow. It's been about 15 minutes. We haven't had boobies on the screen. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> Andrew, what about you? That interesting. I, the samurai scene, I can see it made a little bit more because they were both fighting and the, the, the couple was play fighting Nathan Bryce's character. But then her carrying our, our basically kind of bleeding from the nose hero uh, down the hall mixed with uh, Nathan Bryce's sex scenes. What what was they going for with that, or was it just kind of to show the movie? No, I think it was cool. You know, I mean, it's just, it's all about contrast at that point. Who's a strong character? Who's a weak character? Because mm-hmm. you know, you're, uh, uh, Jerome up until that point, you know, he's seen as just like kind of like enigmatic and very strong and very smart. And you have this moment where he can't handle being in the elevator, and she doesn't know how to work it. And so she like keeps missing the floor, and he's just like, I should have taken the stairs. Yeah. And, and, and but what's great about it is that um, I I think I read that uh, when she's carrying him, they used like like a bicycle seat and a skateboard, <laughs> kind of this weird contraption, <laughs> so she could awesome. she could uh, actually carry him or some kind of DIY. I don't know. I can't confirm yeah. that or anything. But like, I love. This is just one of the many scenes I love the way that they intercut things like that because the sex scenes are wild. They're like a Kubrick, uh, Clockwork Orange kind of an mm-hmm. orangey looking thing, mm-hmm. and then but you also have um, you also have Bowie there just sitting in the bed just hating it. And I kept getting the feeling that he could hear them, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> which would you know be you know it's a later way to kind of uh, like you know kind of a. Uh, I don't know what's the word for, it, but there's he has an orgy of his own. Not not with a, more than one person, but still, there's yeah. some wild sex to that happen later between him and her. So I think as an editor, the person was having a, a really fun time, uh, kind of foreshadowing things that would would happen later between these two characters that are just meeting for the first time. Yeah, which enters uh, Mary Lou because uh, I mean Nathan Bryce, we kind of follow him. He's the guy. He's the dreamer. He's one of the people that Thomas Jerome Newton ends up trusting with his project of building this spaceship. And then he also kind of starts to fall and eventually does fall for Mary Lou, the hotel worker. And she was an interesting character, as Glenn alluded to before. Uh, She starts out kind of, she seems kind of just wanting or needing or very fascinated by our character, but she soon becomes obsessed with him. And then I don't know what happened to her <laughs> going along, but uh, Paul, what, you, what were your feelings on Mary Lou's progression through this film? Uh, was was it the richness that corrupted her from being the small town girl to the rich guy's wife? I think that 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 could be one angle of it. The other thing is that she's she's just basically a symbolism for addiction in general because you know mm-hmm. you get you get that initial interest and then you get really obsessed and then you go through withdrawal when you actually have to leave the drug 
that she was so obsessed about. And, and, and that's also, too, you know, how she did not age well, um, I think, because her face just totally, ugh. You know, she had this wonderful, wonderful face early on, and she had this kind of, like, vibrant aura about her. You know, she was this bubbly character, mm -hmm. uh, potentially, like Glenn said, mentally uh, <laughs> hurt. Um, sure. But, and, you know, but also, to uh, you know, all the symbolism taken out, I did not like her character because mm -hmm. at first I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be an interesting character. She, uh, she starts out kind of, you know, being interested in the guy. Uh, she actually shows that she's got strength by lifting him, you know, through there and cares about him, honestly does care about him. And then toward the end, uh, when she, like, especially the scene where, where he is supposed to leave, uh, leave her and go into space back home, she's like, She's like totally, oh, constantly, this annoying character that I, I hated. It's like I don't want the money. I want my Tommy. I want my Tommy. Oh my god! Just <laughs> we got it the first two, three times you said it, and then and then toward the end, and especially when she she kind of like I think I think she does hook up with uh, with. Uh, Nathan Bryce. Nathan Bryce, you know, Mr. Mr. Uh, Jingle Balls. <laughs> Jingle Balls. Um, <laughs> That's the impression I got was that her yeah. and Nathan Bryce ended up growing close together, really close uh, together on that. And, and, and I mean, it, it kind of, yes, she still loved him, but she gets all pissed off because the ring doesn't fit her finger. And I mean, she could have tried her pinky finger or something like that. <laughs> she didn't try hard enough, in my, in my opinion. So... <laughs> <laughs> she did passionate it. about this one, really? wow. one issue. This one character. Wow. I I do like your uh, idea of addiction though, because she does. Because even with the water, I mean, he's still okay. Do we get the angle, Andrew, of women corrupt? Because even in the, even when he's first in the hotel, he's still just going for water. And then we see later on he's living with her, and he's kind of up the ante and moved to vodka. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it. it um, there are there are those who say that the uh, man who fell to earth is an uh, is a story about alcoholism. Um, you know, and if you go back to the '60s, which was written, you know, it can be seen as like a Cold War story, right. or whatever. But I, I really see it as like a kind of an alcoholism kind of a thing, and uh, because you think of it as like, well, he's he's here for water. And he gets distracted, and you know, then he becomes a drunk. And you know, of course, the final shot of the movie is <laughs> there's no question of what's happened to him. Finally, yeah. um, you know, what I mean, he's got alien physiology, which would mean you know, it takes more. It would probably take more to, for him to get drunk because he's obviously strong enough to withstand space travel anyway. So he had to have a pretty strong constitution. Now he watches TV constantly too. Which says that uh, you know he's so smart he needs more you know he he needs like well, how many TVs does he need to stay like stimulated and distracted it takes uh like well, he has a room full of televisions at one point in the room yeah like five or six so everything has got to be in excess of him because he's you know he is superior beings and stuff but I I don't hate her and I don't know that necessarily it's her fault either I think he was just you know kind of prone to he was going to do it anyways he's just kind of that kind of guy I think you know. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I thought it's interesting you mentioned the TVs because as he moves on, uh, he, he gets more and more TVs as the richer he got and the closer he got to his rocket ship. But then after he reveals he's an alien to Mary Lou and moves on, he actually whittles himself down back to one TV. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, is, is this him cutting back on, on his TV and on his addiction, or is this just him needing less stimulation? Has he has he hit a bottom now to where he doesn't need as much distraction? No, he's becoming more human, man. Mm-hmm. He's, he's diluting the alienness. You know what I'm saying? He was, you know, super smart, did all the patents. You know, they're obviously a hyper intelligent race, or whatever, because they've already figured out you know, how to get from one planet to another uh, and all of that other stuff. They just can't, you know, they can't quite strike their uh, their their water problem and everything. Right. So I mean, it's it makes total sense. But yeah, he he becomes so human later as as time goes on that uh, eventually he can't. Uh, what it, they zap him with the X ray and his contacts then are fused to his eyes or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. yeah. so it's on the on the novel where they actually blind him and that's why he can't finish his uh, project because he's totally blind from what the what the government does to him. Um, but in the movie. Yeah, he just he just seems like a, a transformation, not not only into a a human, but into just a really defeated dude. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I'm glad you mentioned the government because we do get the government in here at some point. It it's like he couldn't be this rich and smart, and suddenly our government gets very paranoid and moves in and finally starts to plot to basically take down his corporation. Uh, guys, <laughs> were they making a statement about uh, in, government interference in into businesses, or uh, you know, they grab his ass right before he gets on his ship? I yeah. know. <laughs> like, well, well, and then they they destroy. Don't they destroy his ship too? Yeah. Isn't yeah. they? Isn't that what that one scene was? Because again, it, it for me. And don't get me wrong, folks. I love art picks and I, that's why I wanted to talk about this one but for me I was like wait are they blowing up his original starship or did they blow up another one <laughs> it could be interpreted as both yeah yeah that you're talking about uh, oh god well, they they, they kind of go like oh, this is a waste of money or whatever and yeah yeah what's kind of left of it or whatever and then well they end up you know destroying the place where he lives too isn't it like that hotel I mean it just all kind of crumbles around him he's got no choice he's not not welcome anywhere you know yeah the, the room with the ping pong table though was fascinating so cool because <laughs> the, the wooded area yeah with the leaves on the ground the wooded area painted on the walls there's so many visual things going oh on like God. that in this film it's just it's wilder like their spaceship Glenn his spaceship of soundproof material <laughs> and a glowing ball yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> what'd you think of his his spaceship in it I mean because he, he apparently got enough money to build it. Uh, but that just was kind of very <laughs> sci-fi, wasn't it? See, I thought it was a recording studio is what I thought it was. <laughs> yes. He made a record eventually. It might have been. The Visitor. The Visitor. The yeah, record, right. yeah. Dude, I could I could re I could rebuild his ship for a hundred dollars and go to Walmart right now. We could <laughs> we could rebuild his ship right now. Uh twenty sixteen really buys you a lot more in terms of space travel. <laughs> We'd CGI it though. You know, we, we'd have to CGI it, yeah. just like just like his eyes. Uh, <laughs> loved him, loved him. 
Well, his eyes, they yeah. did do good with the alien eyes, yeah. Oh, can we talk about that shot where he takes it? It's in reverse. Yeah, well, yeah. Holy crap, how did they do it, man? How did they do that? <laughs> yeah, that that's what I found interesting is that I found out this film was made on a budget of $1.5 million. That was the entire budget <laughs> reported of this film. Apparently, they used he used this money... Uh, the, the producer got this money for insurance that they would make the movie, and that's what he used to make the movie. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> was, was that, that about, apparently, from what I was reading, uh, which I found just fascinating. But yeah, the, some of the effects they do, they don't do many, but they do some major make- makeup effects when he decides to re- reveal himself to Mary Lou uh, and show his true self. They do this thing with eye covering, where he takes his tweezers and pulls this. Oh, it's one shot, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's one shot in a mirror, and it it was wild that they did that. And not only that, that they've got this singer David Bowie doing it. <laughs> I mean, great. It's not, it I don't know. It wasn't the, a body double, but go ahead, Paul. The, 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 trivia, the, the trivia spots that you get on these like websites and stuff, they talked yeah. about him saying that he, he was so excited about this kind of film that he, he'd be willing to do anything that the director wanted him to do. So well, he's on a lot of cocaine, too. <laughs> that was, was true. Yeah, they, that interviewed, was... <laughs> they interviewed him later on, and he said, yeah, he was high for the whole film. He was doing hey, about... David, eat this bird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he was, like, doing 10 grams a day of oh, coke. <laughs> I was, was joking. No, he did it. I read up on this. Apparently, in an interview, he mentioned that he was like on ten grams a day, and he really he'd read his lines for the day, and he'd shoot the scenes the day he he read the lines, <laughs> and he was kind of out of it. But that's exactly what they wanted for the character. So oh, that's perfect. He, he wasn't trying to be the alien character. He was just stoned out of his mind. And, and it worked, man. He's great. He's fantastic. Oh, it's a great performance in there because he he just seems disconnected the entire time really from everything in here. Even when he's being close to Mary Lou, he, he seems distant, you know, and, and, and he plays it very well. But uh, mentioning the government, uh, going back to the government really quick, there is an agent, Peters, who kind of is the government agent that, that takes over World Enterprises and helps orchestrate the kidnapping of our Thomas Jerome Newton and get him uh, experimented on in that. And Peters is played by Bernie Casey. Who you and Jefferson. <laughs> who's done a lot of things. And I, I enjoyed his character. He doesn't get a whole lot of time, but he... Yeah, it, he's one of the one of the guys in there that uh, is the government guys that want to take over uh, this business because it's just gotten too large. And I, I enjoyed Bernie Casey, you know, even though you get to see maybe a little too much of him. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of the the Peters character, Glenn? Did you kind of follow what his purpose was, or were they did they leave it rather ambiguous for him? I didn't follow a lot of people's purpose in this movie. <laughs> um, no, I think he was left. I think kind of ambiguous on purpose. Uh-huh. I mean, I think I I need to watch this movie again mm-hmm. to better understand it. But I'm not sure if I want to watch it again right away. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot of things I think that I missed, uh, which is the the one the one doing every 24 years is not sufficient. <laughs> 
to fully understand a movie like this. <laughs> no, it it isn't, and that's what I find fascinating about this film. I mean, these are this is definitely a classification where many out there would go, oh, it's an art house pick, oh my god, you know, it's so... But if you just pay attention a little bit, your mind starts thinking, well, what about this? Rather than being spoon-fed, like you're pretty much, and yes, I'm going to my little soapbox here, but it's a simple fact of storytelling nowadays in most, not all, most films, you're spoon-fed everything. Here, you're fed nothing. <laughs> you, un, until that scene in the desert, you don't even realize why he's actually on the planet if you did yeah. not read the synopsis. <laughs> I mean, and that's two hours in. And this is a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and we don't get the reveal till the end of why he's actually doing this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I, I found it not frustrating to watch, but it is. Glenn's right. This is definitely a film that... You can't just watch once because you'll miss a lot of things. And I, I do want to watch it again, but not right away because, yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And that's why I was having a little trouble coming up with some questions of that because I'm just like, I, I want to ask about everything. <laughs> I have an observation about uh, the Peters character, though, because, sure. I mean, we, we talk about him being kind of like symbolic and, and of the ambiguous like government kind of controlling. Mm -hmm. But they took the time to show a scene where he was with his wife and with his kids. So that was kind of an interesting thing. It's like, okay, yeah, the government is this, but the government still does care, and the government is kind of, you know, you know, they still worry about their own families too. I thought that was just an interesting thing to add on. Otherwise, it would have been just a, a really bad thing to put into the film because <laughs> they didn't need it then at that point if he was supposed to be the evil government. So I think they, they intentionally wanted to show you that, that, you know, all the characters had a little bit more depths, you know, and that, that they have reasons for doing the things. I'm sure that they probably meant that he was he was doing all of this stuff to protect his own, you know, family. family. Yeah. And, and the boobs. Well, yes. <laughs> what, what a lovely, lovely set of children he had. <laughs> what a lovely set of children. <laughs> I There are some scenes in here that I will fully admit, I appreciate cinema, I appreciate art, that just felt like out of left field like yeah you're just going for the nakedness <laughs> I mean the, the scene with Peters and he's naked in the water and he comes up there's his wife she's naked and it's like okay uh <laughs> well, they're both athletes amazingly you know they're just yeah their physiques were just like wow this is like superheroes before superheroes were popular <laughs> They were they were ripped, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, so, but you get a lot of scenes like that though too, where you would just get these characters doing something and then it just drift off and <laughs> no real word or reason or explanation, uh, you know. So, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it, Glenn? That you don't get actually spoon fed or explanation or exposition from just about anything in this film. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, I hate being spoon-fed. Um, mm -hmm. I hate being spoon-fed. I hate the fact that foreshadowing is now for slapping you in the face with a 50-pound fish. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I, like to, I like to be able to, one, either figure things out for myself, or I, I like things that sometimes are open-ended, where it's, where it's open to interpretation of what, what it could be. 
it's got to be done right, though, for it to work. Because sometimes you get something where they leave it open-ended, and you're just kind of like, what, you know, it's got to fit in the context of the story. If the, if the story going throughout has little bits that are left kind of open and open to interpretation, that's fine. You can't just all of a sudden have just a normal story and then just leave the ending like, boom, like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> you, you, have to, you have to build to that. Right. Um, and I think this movie has enough open-ended things that are left where you can interpret it in different ways where I think it works. Right. I do, too. It tells enough of a linear story, uh, more so than a, most of Terrence Malick's stuff. Uh, <laughs> no offense. I, 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 I know people who love his films. I, I don't get all his films. Uh, but it had kind of that feel to it. Or I was talking to a, a Spoiler Room regular, uh, Scotty Davis, and he mentioned how this kind of had a Dune feel as far as how the story was told in a way where you're not really told everything. You really jump scene to scene in this film, and it, it all the way up to the end, you, you don't really get a complete resolution, do you, Paul? Exactly. Uh, I still, to, uh, after watching this, mm-hmm. I don't even know if his family are, or is actually dead or waiting for him. It's it's like that that box with the cat inside, you know. I'm not 100. percent Yeah, because it's like, is are they dead or they, because they showed scenes where they were dead and then they showed scenes flashback scenes where they're alive, and and so that the movie just leaves that so much open it and and oh and there's just so many things that definitely you have to watch this again eventually mm-hmm. to to pick up the extra stuff because I don't think I could. I, you know, I don't think I could watch through it the first time that I did, and and not pick up, you know, everything. I, I I swear I could probably pick up twice as many things now if I watched it again. Especially talking with you guys about the film. Yeah. Well, what got me too, kind of with that ending, is the fact that uh, he made an album. <laughs> the and, and Andrew, he's trying to be in hiding from being kidnapped by the government, and the man comes out with an album, and people know who he is. I mean. Was the government looking for him that heavy after so many years, or do you think they kind of gave up? I don't know. I kind of, I kind of thought like the visitor might have been his way of, like a desperate way of communicating with his home planet. Sure. Did you know that? that you know what I mean? Like, cause they, how did they? I, well, I he alludes. He alludes to it that they watched their Earth on TV, so we know TV and radio waves they do intercept them. Right. So, so. you know, because he he makes some mention like about the radio, like he's hoping that she'll hear it on the radio. Mm-hmm. His wife. Uh, and so I thought he may, maybe he made the record as a way to com- communicate with his home planet, like a hopeful way of communicating with his home planet. That's kind of what I I didn't even think about the the government as far as the record was concerned, but yeah, they certainly didn't have a problem finding them. Yeah. <laughs> you find me well on your record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Nathan Bryce retort, he, he kind of finds him. I'm like, said so you're going and, and he's looking around at the gov, you know, helicopters flying up and there's waiters and he's not exactly keeping a low profile, but at the same time, the government has the government given up on him, Glenn on, on kidnapping him and trying to figure out who he is. Or, or are they still looking, and is he still in hiding? Because I, I thought that was kind of just left open at the end, which is a good thing, which is why I brought it up. I, what was your impression on that with, with the government angle? Because he escapes, they left the door open, and, and what, they don't go after him anymore? 
<laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's the government. It, they're watching everyone already anyways. They know where he is. They know what he's doing. If they need him, they can find him. And he'll be too drunk to get away. <laughs> well, and also they make it seem like so much time has passed that the the furor over him or the interest in him is like a generation removed. You yeah. know? Uh, yeah. The yeah. coolest part, right, to me, that I remember going like, holy crap, is when he realizes he's not even trapped anymore. He's not even being held prisoner anymore. He's like, how'd you get in here? When Mary Lou shows up, she's like, yeah, the door's open. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> he just puts it and there it goes. You know, he could have left. So I think there's just, yeah, there was just no one except the people that, uh, knew him personally. Um, even you know would even think about him. He's just kind of old news. And why would the government care? He's they took him apart, and you know what I mean. They got everything they could from him. Yeah, they they took most of his money, though he must have had some money. Uh, so because he, he still had it, he said he was still rich. He said he was still rich. So those offshore bank accounts, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> of course, he had fallen off the Mary Lou wagon uh, when she showed up at his uh, his his prison, quote-unquote prison, which I think that alluded to him falling off the wagon of sword students <laughs> when she shows up and they just have a wild time shooting a gun full of blanks. Yes. That's awesome. That's an awesome scene. Oh, my God. That that sex scene, they're... I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they don't love each other. Mm-hmm. No. They went through the motions anyway, but it's just, and a lot of nudity. If, nudity, if you ever want to see what David Bowie's penis looks like, it's there. <laughs> a lot of yep, times. Yep, yep. Or, or Rip Torn's for that as well, because back in that <laughs> montage scene of the four different women he was uh, sleeping with, at one point she talks to his penis, and we get to see her talk. <laughs> we get to see Rip Torn's penis. So, <laughs> but then she says the line that you like fear the most. It's, oh, this kind of reminds me of my dad. <laughs> that is great. Uh, <laughs> oh, and again, crazy. Like in real life, he was kind of crazy. Like he, yeah. he, got, he got kicked off of Easy Rider. How fucking crazy <laughs> do you have to be? <laughs> Just how, yeah, how crazy do you have to be to get kicked off that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there's just a lot of wild imagery, a lot of things going on, metaphors, all kinds of things you can read into it. And I think that leads it to, uh, because it it's not told in a traditional story sense, we jump around an awful lot in this film. And if you don't pay attention for the two hours and 20 minutes it is or whatever, you're, you're going to get lost. Uh, though I do like that at the very end in the soundtrack, they end it with the uh, jazz tune Stardust, uh, <laughs> which I thought was really an interesting choice, uh, considering it's David Bowie. Uh, so <laughs> I think we're going to uh, wrap up this episode here uh, with just kind of some final general thoughts with this and uh, recommendations, who you might want to recommend this to, uh, considering this is a 40-year-old film. Glenn, we'll just start with you right away, sir. If you could, uh, your, your kind of final observations or thoughts with this film and, and uh, who nowadays would you recommend this film to, considering the modern Hollywood audience? Um, well, I wouldn't recommend this to any of the modern Hollywood audience. Um, they would not. They, they, they couldn't sit through it. They wouldn't. They wouldn't understand what was going on, because uh, you know they, it's they're not being spoon fed everything, and it's, it is, uh, at times it's very slow, mm-hmm. um, which, if there's not explosions every eight seconds, Americans just don't know what to do. Right. Um, 
I would recommend this to. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of anyone younger that I would recommend it to. It's it's hard. There's there's some I know that I could recommend it to. Those. So if I, I've got a couple of friends on Facebook who are in their like early twenties, who I'm sure they've probably already seen this because they're I already know that they're big David Bowie fans and they're they're uh, they're fans of of people like like David Lynch and stuff like that where they're gonna get get things that aren't your standard Hollywood type film. They're gonna get things that don't always make sense and they're gonna enjoy things that don't always make sense because part of the fun is trying to find the sense in the senseless. Right. Um, so that's what this movie is. It's it's at times it doesn't seem to make sense, but there there is something going on there. There's a story being told. And there's, uh, you know, actually there's stories being told within the story as well. So it's part of the fun is, is trying to figure out what actually is all happening. So to anyone who, who likes a good kind of uh, mystery as far as the movie goes, and I don't mean classic whodunit, just like, you know, of, of what's going on, that's who I would recommend seeing this. Mm-hmm. Cool. And Paul, what about you, sir? Your, your kind of final thoughts, who you'd recommend this uh, to? Oh. I would recommend if you if you like Criterion films, uh, that's the type of crowd that this uh, movie would appeal to. Uh, if you like to interpret movies your own way, uh, this is a great movie for that. If if you're the type of person that has to get everything explained to you uh, as it's happening, uh, you probably will not like this film. And uh, did you enjoy it yourself on your first viewing? <laughs> I did actually. It was it was interesting. It's like the but I think I enjoyed it more after talking with you because now I really do think it is is this one big massive metaphor. Now I want to watch it with that in mind and see if it's, <laughs> you know see if it's true. Because sure. but the beauty of this film though is it that I can be right and and I could be wrong and you can be right and you can be wrong. It doesn't matter. Because it, it's it's you take your own personal uh, good out of this, you know. The the value of this film is is what you you take from it, and that's the best thing about films. Yeah, it definitely epitomizes that that it's just there and it's up to you to decide how you interpret it. Speaking of interpreting, Andrew, uh, your final thoughts and who would you recommend this to? Oh, I, th- I think it's a solid thing that uh, that Paul said about people that like Criterion releases. You know, I mm-hmm. when we said we were going to talk about this, when I was like, oh, I love Man Who Fell to Earth, and I was like, I, I don't have it. I wonder if I could get it. The Criterion Blu-ray was like out of print for like the last six years. <laughs> Which is really disappointing, but Nicholas Rogue's uh, Don't Look Now, uh, it was a very recent release from uh, just a few months ago from Criterion. It's the movie he did right before Man Who Fell to Earth, and it's a horror movie, and it is unforgettable. So mm-hmm. I recommend definitely, if you can't get a hold of Man Who Fell to Earth, if you're a sci-fi fan of 70s sci-fi pre-Star Wars stuff, because things did change after that, there would not be a Star Trek the motion picture without Star Wars, or an alien, or a Buck Rogers, or a black hole. But yeah, if you if you're if you like you know even like maybe Solaris, Planet of the Apes, you know, Andromeda Strain, Slaughterhouse Five, you gotta put you gotta have to see you have to see Man Who Fell to Earth to be a completist on that stuff. As fans of David Bowie, you guys that like Labyrinth, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or t- Twin Peaks, Fire Walk with Me into the Night, uh, even like uh, what was that one, The Prestige that he was Prestige, in, yeah. Um, I, what you gotta remember is David Bowie when he was in The Man Who Fell to Earth. Nobody knew if he could act. He was a famous musician, but yeah. people were like, "Is he gonna be any good?" And we all have seen movies where a musician is in and is not very good. But um, Nicholas Rogue made the movie Performance, which is a 
it part of uh, Jay Hoberman's um, uh, Midnight Movies book. It's listed as a classic cult film, and Mick Jagger's a star of that. So he had some you know experience dealing with the pop stars and everything. But uh, I feel like Bowie's performance in Man Who Fell to Earth uh, is definitely in the ranks with like you know some of the best: Debbie Harry in Videodrome, uh, Bjork Dancer in the Dark, Ice Cube in Boys in the Hood. Uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Queen Latifah in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Tom Waits and everything he was in, short yeah. cuts, I guess. Short <laughs> cuts, but um, it's a, it's just a perfect. You can't imagine anyone else doing it, and it's so cool. And I know we kind of slammed Candy Clark a little bit, and I know she probably got the role because she was dating Rogue at the time they made it. But I love Candy Clark, man. Mm-hmm. I thought she was a like who else would have played that? Karen Black's the only other person I think could have pulled off. Uh, yeah. And she's very Karen Black-esque. Uh, probably, I don't even know who people would know her mostly from. I guess Buffy's mom in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in the Blob remake. She's the waitress in the, in the Blob remake. She's got that great scene. Uh, yeah, she, would, she was in a number of, of horror films like that. Blue yeah. Thunder. She was in Blue Thunder. Yeah, Blue well. Thunder. Um, American Graffiti, probably the first. Yep. Yeah. Role, um, where so, she got actually awarded, uh, nominated for Academy Award. <laughs> yeah, I just think I think she's good. I think Mary Lou is exactly what the movie needs. They need somebody with that kind of energy because it does have kind of a pace to it. It does have a kind of an airy weirdness to it. And I think, yeah, ultimately, if you like movies that just are out to do something to you, that you don't necessarily have to sit there and gather all this information. Uh, and know a lot of things and are like, you know, trying to build a world and trying to have their own mythology. I'm sorry, man. I know that sci-fi is built on that and it's their bread and butter and a lot of geeks love that. I don't like that stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like to have to have a lot of information. I like to sometimes just put stuff on. That's why you love watching 2001. You know, yeah. it just is. It's just a movie. And thank goodness for movies like that. And I'm glad they made it. And I'm really glad they made Man Who Fell to Earth. And I'll say as well that even though we 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 picked on the Mary Lou character as a performance, she does great. I, and the character itself, you're supposed to be kind of annoyed. You're supposed to be uncomfortable with her. But Candy Clark played her very well, and you you get the re- exact reaction from that character that I think you're supposed to. And if you people are thinking, oh, this is just some dusty forty year old film, this film influenced a lot of things later on. Uh, just according to IMDb, some of the things it influenced was the music video for the Dope Show used themes for Man to Fell to Earth as well. As a lot of music videos stole from uh, or Welcome to the Jungle yeah. and Barbarella song as well used influence from this, especially Big Audio Dynamite uh, referenced it in lyrics as well as visually for their E equals MC squared video. Yeah. For those of you who are wondering and are into comic book films, Watchman, the apartment for Ozzy Mandy, uh, Mandias, I always mispronounce that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan's apartment and uh, Ozzy's uh, Arctic Retreat were both based off of the set from the man who fell to earth. Really? Yeah. That's cool. In the film, man. So, you know, the fringe used, uh, one of the characters uses the alias of Thomas Jerome Newton. My point being is one of the reasons I want to explore these films from 76 is because of this, uh, David Bowie especially was a very influential artist, and I don't think anyone realized it till his passing, unfortunately, just how many people were into David Bowie and his the extent, the reach of his uh, work. And this is one of those pieces where if you're a David Bowie fan, if you're a new David Bowie fan, seek this film out and see it. 
You will enjoy it. You will probably get it, especially if you are a big fan of his. And if you just like kind of that obscure sci-fi, if you haven't yet for some reason, see this film. And see it with a group of people. So you can sit like us folks here and talk about it because there's a lot you can talk about, a lot you can interpret. Film is completely subjective, and that's why I enjoy it so much. And I think that's why everyone in the crew here tonight also enjoys films like The Man That Fell to Earth. You know, they're sometimes hard to watch, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. So uh, we'll go down the list here real quick. You just get where we can find you at uh, when you're not here talking to me. So, Glenn, go ahead, sir. You can find me on Facebook with the BBB Bunker, uh, on YouTube, BBB Bunker and Nikito Productions. You can also find me on uh, GNCast.com, Galactic Netcast, for my uh, gaming podcast, The Adventure Party, or just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo. Fantastic. And uh, go ahead, Mr. Gonzarific. Oh, thanks, Mar. Hey, I just want to say you guys are great. I got so much out of listening to you guys, and I, you know, Criterion, I love them, but man, why don't you put this movie back out so I could buy it? I would have loved to have watched this <laughs> before I was on this thing, but I, I, you know, but thank goodness everybody, you know, everybody, you know, had some awesome insight. Uh, well, let's see, uh, Gonzarific, um, YouTube, you can watch a lot of my old movies and a lot of my shorter films on the YouTube channel, just G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. Um, if you want to rent some really cheap, new, uh, cheesy uh, DIY uh, uh, cult film type stuff. Amazon On Demand has my movies Fake Blood, Mondo Gonzo, uh, Pajama Nightmare, and The Underground Cinema, Cinema with an S. And, uh, yeah, there's a Wikipedia about me, apparently, so making <laughs> <laughs> life something based on there. <laughs> and, Paul, go ahead. Uh, when I'm not being mistaken for a Lithuanian... Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was one of the great line, the, the comedic lines in there is, yes. go ahead, ask the question. That's uh, on your mind. Yeah, d- yeah. David Bowie's character asks, go ahead, ask the one question that has been on your mind for all this time since you met me. And he goes, are you Lithuanian? <laughs> oh, I don't remember I that. that. That's line. awesome. Uh, but yes, uh, you can... In seriousness, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and WordPress at Forsaken Film Reviews. Fantastic. And yes, you can find all our episodes here in the Spoiler Room as well as everything that I work on at SpecialMarkProductions.com where I have my final, recent Final Cut episodes posted there, my reviews, stuff I do for We Live Film. You can also find uh, some of my episodes on NerdSlant. Dot com, And also, occasionally, I am privileged to be on the Astro Radio Z podcast, which I have to plug. We just recorded a recent episode with them. I was a guest on it, and uh, so was Glenn, and we talked about the Howling first three films. We're doing a franchise coverage of all the Howling films, and we did the first three. So seek out Astro Radio Z. I believe it's astroradioz.wordpress.com. Uh, but if you just Google Astro Radio Z, it'll come up. Or you can find us, SpecialMarkProductions.com, the Spoiler Room podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at SpoilerRoomPDCS, or myself, at MovieManiac3D. That's right, it is the Spoiler Room. Hope you enjoyed our first of our many big 4.0 episodes. The next one up is going to be Assault on Precinct 13, so you'll want to check that out. Look for our website for when that episode comes out. Thank you so much for tuning in, and as always, remember, in the spoiler room the conversation is fresh but we do spoil the movies 